I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And we are Two, Two Average, Average Girls. Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday, Denise. How are you? I'm better now. When you saw me earlier today, I wasn't doing well. <laughs> I was going to say something. I'm glad you didn't. Anyway. <laughs> but you look better. Thanks. I you feel took better. a shower. Yeah, I took a shower. And, yeah. The other reason, we did a podcast earlier this morning, and it was early. And we don't usually do early mornings because we take a little while to warm up. And Anne came in and uh, she woke up about 25 minutes before we were supposed to actually go to air. I arrived at the same time as our guest. And, <laughs> That's um, always awesome. It was terrific. But Denise opened the door and greeted our guest warmly as usual. And then she looked over at me with just the smile on her face. She's like, huh? She knew. She could see in my eyes. And I was like, this is makeup from last night. Don't say a word. <laughs> it's been one of those nights. I don't, don't want it. Don't ask, don't, don't tell. Don't ask as I rush past. Anyway, we have a guest on today that we were so she's happy She's wondering to have on. why she came on as she's listening to us banter. Nope. This I'm totally related, Meaningless, <laughs> meaningless information. And so Lonnie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am... A widow at this point in my life. I um, was married for almost 15 years with my husband. We were together for 17. We have two daughters, um, business owners, kind of just, uh, you know, very blessed, I would say. I have a great family, friends. I lived a very amazing life my entire life, and I'm still living an amazing life today. But about a year and a half ago, two years ago, my life completely changed basically overnight when we found out that my husband was diagnosed with uh, glioblastoma brain cancer. Mm. Tell us, um, I know a little bit about how you found out or how it came to be that you realized that he had something wrong with him. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You live life moving forward, but kind of watch it in reverse. And I feel like looking back, you know, there was many signs that he had something going on for a very long time that... You kind of contributed to stress, right? So this all started happening in 2020. So 2020 was oh. an insane year, right, <laughs> right? Right. Kind of the craziest year I think that I've ever lived through my entire life. And so, you know, all of the things happening in the world created a lot of stress. So a lot of his symptoms, we just kind of chopped it up to stress, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was happening in the world with the business, with employees. It was always something. So my cop out was always stress. So you're self-employed, mm-hmm. and I want to bring that up because we both are come from. Her husband's a contractor. Mm-hmm. We're contractors. Yep. You're a contractor. Yep. We actually met Jim, Jimmy, through mm-hmm. him coming to our home. This the room we're sitting in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a theater room. It's really a media. It's really a family room, but it is this room. And Jimmy did all of the framing here. Yep. And while he was working here, my husband was like, "This guy is so smart." He is so good. I want to hire him. And Jimmy came and worked for us for, I don't know how many years he was working for us. I want to say like eight years. And you know what's so funny is I feel like, you know, in my entire life, I feel like God has always blessed us. And Mm -hmm. things have always worked out for the good, even when you felt like it wasn't working that way. And I will never forget, Jimmy had gotten his contractor's license when he was 21 years old. And um, I want to say he was maybe 26 ish when he came here and he was building this and that was in 2007 2000 Mm -hmm. right before 2008 and i remember him coming home and saying i got a job offer you know and i was like okay i'm like well you know we have a business that we kind of were excited about growing and building and he was like i don't know he's like it's just something that sounds really hard to turn down he's like i think it'd be a great opportunity and so you know i remember saying to him i said look you have to follow your gut on this one you know if you feel like it's the right thing to do then do it. You right. know, you can always go back to your own business. 
And so we took a leap of faith. He turned down a big project, actually, that he was going to build like a community out in Borrego Springs. Mm. And it kind of would have taken his business to the next level. But he just felt that this was the right avenue. So he turned and went and worked for them. And it was so crazy. I feel like it was overnight. The entire 2008 hit and everything fell out. Oh, Every person in our contracting world lost everything. That's right. And I remember feeling so blessed because had we have not had that amazing opportunity happen, you know, that would have been us. I mean, yeah. God always has been faithful and always provided even down to that time, you know, and he learned so much from Cooper yeah. Engineering that he would never have been able to be the success that he was without having Hot and Denise as his mentors. So I love it. he was extremely smart and he was extremely, um, he had a good heart. So he was always doing mm-hmm. the right thing, even when people weren't watching, you right. know, and I felt like that is what he never advertised a day in his life. And he just was, he grew such a successful company based on who he was sure. because people really saw that he was, you know, hardworking, genuine, kind, honest human being. They so could trust him. They could. He was very trustable. Absolutely. Now, can we, I want to just go back to, mm-hmm. to 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yep. So let's just kind of yes. step yep. down just yes. a sec. Okay. <laughs> What were some of his symptoms that you were giving over to stress, but were actual symptoms? Um, Honestly, I'm going to start with just not able to handle the amount of stress that he always had on his plate. So Jim was very good at his job. Mm -hmm. We built high-end custom homes. He he liked the difficult projects. So Mm -hmm. when somebody said, nope, that's not possible, he's like, we're going to figure it out. That is what he was known for. So he didn't choose easy things. I used to always say to him, why do you do this? Just take something smaller and easier. It'd be a lot less stressful. But that was not who he was. Because so, he was building things that were on the sides of... of huge cl- cliffs and mountains. Yeah, cliffs you know, like caissons going like hundreds of feet in the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, you know... In LA. In, yeah, crazy big projects. Mm-hmm. And so I'll um, remember just listening to him and just... I used to always say, are you okay? Like, is, are you okay? Like, I just, as a wife, had been with him for so many years. And he's just like, I just feel like something's off and he kept saying to me he's like I almost feel like I have like dementia Mm. he said you know it was so weird that um his clients his he worked with a lot of designers and architects and he would forget their names and he's worked with people for years and he's just like he would try to like talk about things and he would say like times would come up and he wouldn't be able to like pinpoint like say that's like a tv like he's like I know it's a tv but like he couldn't get the word out of Mm, his mouth like it was losing the disconnect um, so that was kind of the little things as obviously like a woman being in a relationship with a man for 20 years, I felt the disconnect in our relationship. And I was like, are we good? And he couldn't give me an answer. He used to say, he's like, I don't know why I feel the way that I feel. Ooh. And so as a wife, yes. you know, you're just like, ouch, like, okay, like I'm a fixer. So I'm like, well, what, what do is, I need to do? what do I need to do? What do we need to do? And he didn't have an answer because he couldn't understand why he felt the way that he felt. He just kept saying, I don't know why I feel the way I do. I don't know. I don't know. So that was, for me, the biggest thing that I noticed and I felt um, quickly after that. He had his, he was um, driving out to Colorado with one of our friends to go pick up an RV. Mm-hmm. And they were driving home. He was driving the RV. They'd done like a turnaround trip. And he um, was in the middle of a conversation with his friend talking about whatever men talk about and he ended up like in the middle of their conversation almost having like a stroke like symptoms he completely lost like his abilities to talk like he couldn't get the words out he wasn't making sense his friend was like are you okay and so jimmy was like gone mm-hmm. like almost like a seizure mm-hmm. but not like a grand mal seizure on the ground but just like a seizure where his brain had taken gone away and so he jumps behind the wheel puts him in the chair 
and so the, Jimmy was driving. Jimmy was driving. Oh They're goodness. on the freeway. And so he pulls them off of the driver's oh. seat and puts them in the chair and still driving this huge motorhome down the freeway. And Dave calls me on speakerphone. And he's like, Lonnie, you know, something's going on with Jimmy. And so he, I'm like, put him on the phone. And honestly, at first, I have to say, I thought they were screwing with me. Sure. That's something sure. that they would have done. Totally would have done that. <laughs> totally. And I, I was like, I thought they were kidding. And then quickly, I realized that he didn't know, like, he couldn't have like a conversation he wasn't making sense he didn't know like left from right up from down like he was so disoriented was he slurring his words he it was, was it was slurring but almost like not slurring as in like who's this mm. i don't know what you're saying oh. what's what's going on like it was like this weirdest i've never experienced this and i i was like he's and having a stroke of him. i wasn't there i didn't know what to see i could i was only hearing him and so I have a relationship with our doctor. We're friends. And so I called my doctor and I said, hey, Dr. K, I think Jimmy's having a stroke. Can you get on the phone with him? I don't know what to do. He's in the middle of driving home. So the doctor says, Jimmy, this is Dr. K. Are you okay? So in the meantime, his friend's driving to the hospital. Fast forward, they get to the hospital. Um, doctor said, you know, they did scans. They did tests. Doesn't look like he had a stroke. They said they called it hypoglycemia attack, mm. which, you know, he's low sugar. Low sugar. Low blood sugar. Yep, low blood sugar is okay. what they said that it was. That, and that doesn't do that. Yeah. And so that, me too. I was like, okay, that just seems odd, but mm-hmm. this has never happened his entire life. Okay. So um, he snapped out of it. He finished driving home. They came all. I was so nervous. I was like, just get on the plane. Let me get you, you know? And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Totally normal again. Really? And so I was like, okay. Like nothing happened. Nothing happened. So he came home. And it scared me for sure. It scared him. And so I remember us talking and we're thinking like, hey, what is going on here? Well, fast forward a couple of weeks, you know, you kind of just dust it under the rug. And then it happened again. He was walking a job site and a few of his friends, um, not friends, I'm sorry, architect and design crew were with him and they were talking about a project and he said it happened again. But he remembers, it's like almost like he leaves his body. Mm -hmm. So it's like he can see himself and he's like trying to like bring it in. But he couldn't talk. He couldn't get the words out. He was like, it was like he was like in a daze, like stumbling around the job site. But he was able to pull himself back faster this time. Okay. And so when he came home, I said, okay, that's not normal. And then he got on the phone with one of his best friends. And his friend's like, you know, I've seen this before. This happened to one of our friends and he had a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And so Jimmy was like, oh my gosh, I have a brain tumor. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Calm down, calm Mm -hmm. down. You're fine. Like, don't freak out. He was stressing for 24 hours. I said, look, then just go to the hospital. And, like, they'll do scans. They'll do those things for you and just to clear your mind. So he went to um, Corona Regional, which is by our house. I live in the Inland Empire. And they did a brain scan, um, a CT scan. Yes. And it came back with nothing. And so um, he felt better. He's like, okay. You know, and I said, well, okay, it's nothing, you know. So we... Obviously, it was something. We didn't know what. And that was the frustrating part because it was like, this is not normal. But then, you know, stress can do a lot of things to your body. You know, and so I kept saying, I said, you know, babe, you are under so much stress. We had so much going on, so many projects, 50 employees. Like, he had a lot on his plate. And so I said, you know, you need to take just a breather. And um, I don't even know exactly how the next thing happened. I want to say it was pretty rapidly within, like, the next week. Um, His tiredness level went from, like, being able to work like a normal work week to like I would start seeing him come home from work he wouldn't even say a word to me and the girls he would just be passed out like on the floor in the kitchen like on the kitchen like in the living room like literally right. on the floor like not mm-hmm. even on the couch mm-hmm. little things that I was like what is going on and so um 
I called my doctor and I said, look, there's something wrong. I said, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. He's not normal. And the doctor's like, let's get an MRI, you know, just to be safe. I don't think it's anything. The CT scan is anything, but let's just have an MRI done. I said, okay, let's do that. And so um, we went, had an MRI, and the next day we left to go on vacation. So every year, Jimmy's favorite thing to do was go out to the dunes, Dumont, or Glamis Dunes. Glamis, yeah. And we um, do a big Super Bowl event every year. Mm. There's hundreds of people that go in our group. It's yep. like a big party. So that right. would, that was like, he looked forward to this one event all year it's long. Like totally. So he was so excited. But at this point, he was just so tired. Yeah. And so um, I'm like, he's, I'm like, let's just go. You know, I, at this point, was capable of driving the motor home, doing all the, everything. So yeah. I loaded it all. I got us there. And, you know, he slept in the back. And when we got there, the second day we were there, we got there one night. The next day, my doctor, he kept saying, we haven't heard back. We haven't heard back. And he's, I'm like, let's just, I just wanted to avoid it. I'm like, let's just enjoy our chip. And then we will resume on Tuesday. Right. We'll find out the details then. He wanted to get a phone call from the doctor. He wanted to find out basically what the results were. And we thought that the best plan would probably be wait till Tuesday sure. when we got back into town. And so um, he was like, okay, you know, that's fine. So he kind of let it go. Well, unfortunately, my doctor called me Ooh. when I was there and um, I was sitting in my motorhome with two of my best friends, and he was like, look, Lonnie, I don't want to tell you this right now. He's like, but we found something on Jimmy's scan. He has a brain tumor. And he's like, I don't want to freak you out. There's many different types of brain tumors that it could be. We don't know by the looks of the scan. He said, um, but don't say anything to Jim. He, no. said, he said, I think Jeez. that you should allow him to like have this trip that he's been looking forward to. And so, and I agreed. I probably wouldn't have said anything anyway. And he said, let's just talk to him when we get home. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I hung up the phone and immediately was just like terrified, right? I mean, anytime you hear brain tumor. And I knew his uncle had actually passed away of the same cancer five years previous. And so he had kept saying, you know, what if I have brain cancer? What if I have brain cancer? What if, like Peter, like this was like his fear. Yeah. And so when I hung up the phone, thank gosh, my best friends were there and I was just like, weeping like oh my gosh you guys like what am I gonna do I was so terrified Mm -hmm. and so I remember just like okay I can do this we're gonna Mm -hmm. get through the weekend I'm going to not say anything and I'm going to help him have the best time possible well sure enough um the weekend just honestly was miserable for him he was he declined so rapidly it was like literally like a light switch Mm. he couldn't get out of bed. So, I mean, the entire trip, he basically slept the entire time. He would try to come out to the campfire and have conversation, but he wasn't even really able to do that that, at that point. You know, he was trying to rally, but he just was not able to. Mm -hmm. And so um, my mom was there, and I so I confided in her, and I was like, I just can't watch this. I'm so terrified. Like, now that I know that there's something wrong, I see it even more. Right. (laughs) You know, and so I said, I said, we need to go home. So we ended up leaving a day early, and um, I scheduled the doctor's appointment on Monday, and we went into my doctor's office, and it was the hardest time because I had to pretend that I didn't know. And watching Jimmy receive that news was probably one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced. (laughs) When you went in for that particular appointment, Mm -hmm. did they know for a surety that he had brain cancer at that time? They did. Okay. So the – well, so – our doctor was so gracious and I this is I love the fact that he's a family friend of ours so I think that he he was he was doing the same thing with me and Jim as he as I was doing with Jimmy he was slowly Mm -hmm. feeding feeding us the information like he did not just like 
slap it across right. our faces. So right, right, right. he knew okay. how severe this was, but he was also hoping yeah. that there's different stages, right, of this type of cancer. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was hoping that it was not the glioblastoma. Right. So he had told us, you know, <clears throat> basically, you know, I'm going to do everything I can. <clears throat> he is known well in L.A. He does a lot of, like, IV infusions. People go to him from all the world to help heal their body from sure. cancer. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I'm going to do the research for the best, you know, doctor's team in town. So we went to Cedar sinai met with the best surgeons on the planet for this type of um, procedure. And so, again, we still didn't know glioblastoma at this point. We just knew it was a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. And so um, we go into, excuse me, the doctor's offices in Cedar sinai And I would say that was probably when it just became so difficult because doctors are brutal, (laughs) brutally honest. Yeah. And so we went in and I remember them basically saying, look, you know, we're going to have, we're going to remove this tumor. You know, you're awake during some of the procedure because they don't want to mess up with your communication, being able to ability to talk. But the chances of you never speaking again are high. The chances of you never doing this again are very high. The chances of, so when you left the doctor's office, it was just like so discouraging, like no hope, you know, I mean, they were just, they did not paint a picture of hope whatsoever at all. Mm -hmm. And so you were dealing with brain doctors, brain doctors, hundred percent. And so, and it's terrifying, you know? And so I, I thank God all the time because he definitely gave me a naturally optimistic brain. So I always try to find some sort of positivity in something. So I was always constantly just like, look, we're going to, we can handle this. We can do this. We can do this. We can do this. Trying to stay his positive side, but Jim was terrified. And so, um, and he felt like crap, you know, so he just had, he didn't have it in him Mm -hmm. to like even have to make decisions to deal with this. And so. And he watched his uncle. Go through the same process. Go through the same process. And Jimmy prided himself on being smart. You know, that was his thing. And he was like, oh my gosh, like. I'm going to lose what he prides himself on, you know, his abilities. And so, um, you know, I just said, let's just take one step at a time. You know, it's all we can do. Mm -hmm. And so we were scheduled immediately for surgery. I think when we got diagnosed was on like a Tuesday. I think they had him in surgery like that Friday. And so um, doctors were very scared. Like, look, like we don't know exactly what we're going to find when we go in there. We don't know how this is going to end up. So going into the surgery, the anticipation was so scary because mm-hmm. I remember we were, my whole family ever flew in. We were all in a hotel in Los Angeles and we just like were praying all day, like mm-hmm. over his surgery. And it seemed like the surgery took forever. Sure. And so finally the doctor called us after the surgery had ended and he was ecstatic. He was like, we got the entire tumor because they told mm-hmm. us they weren't going to be able to. So we're going to get as much as we can, but we can't get the entire thing because it will mess up your ability like where it was touching to be able to speak so we're going to get as close to it as possible well when he went in there he was able to get the entire tumor Mm. tumor removed my gosh and so we were just like like, a miracle it was a miracle i mean honestly we were like oh my gosh praise god like that was not what we were anticipating he woke up and we had him on facetime and he was able to even communicate at that point and they said it could take months for his brain to remap to talk again Mm -hmm. but he was talking immediately Mm -hmm. and so i mean it was just like it felt like so many wins you know like oh my gosh like this is such a miracle so in the hospital for three days um i was the only one that was able to visit him because of COVID at the Mm -hmm. time so one person in the room and uh i just remember looking at him and he just, I was so, I guess, what's the word? I had so much hope, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. I felt hopeful. Mm-hmm. And he was hopeful. And the doctors were hopeful. You know, everybody was hopeful. And so, you know, they say there's no 
cure for glioblastoma cancer, which they confirmed, obviously, after they'd gone in there. They said, this is a glioblastoma cancer. There is no cure for it. But they do say that, you know, people can live. The average lifespan was five years. But people do live longer. Um, and so, you Even know. Even if they remove the entire tumor. Correct. Yes. And so um, what happens is it has, like, tentacles. So mm-hmm. when you piss it off, mm-hmm. the tentacles spread. So the key is is keeping it from spreading. Mm-hmm. So um, as soon as we found out that he had a tumor, um, I brought in a cook and everybody, and we had him on a vegan diet. Like, he – I. We changed everything, like overnight, immediately. And so, um, you know, I was trying to help it not feed the cancer. And so, had it removed, doctors were ecstatic, um, sent us home. I want to say it was two or three days. I can't remember the time frame exactly. We drive home from Cedar Sinai to my house, which is in Norco. And um, he had this huge black eye, which I thought was strange because he didn't have that when he went into surgery. And I remember asking the nurse, I said, why is his eye black? And I said, oh, well, he just had brain surgery, you know, swelling and pressure. And I was like, okay. You know, it just seemed odd that it would happen days later. So we got home and he's at their house and everybody comes over to visit him and he's up in my bed and we go to bed. It was me, him, and two of my best friends and my girls at the house. And we wake up in the middle of the night to him screaming like bloody murder as if he was Mm being murdered scared me to death i'm like what's wrong he was in so much pain he couldn't even talk he was puking everywhere like trying to release the pain um he was having a brain bleed so the they didn't put drains in for whatever reason i don't know why and so his the where they took it out was filling up with blood so there was so much pressure it was like moving his brain and so um imagine the pain I couldn't imagine. I mean, he, he, and Jimmy has a very high pain tolerance. I mean, he was in so much pain, it was making him physically ill. He couldn't talk. He was just screaming. And so, of course, we called 911. And your poor girls were there. My girls were there. So thank God my girlfriends were there. One of my girlfriends, we're literally like running around the house, bumping into each other because we did not know what to do. It was the most, like looking back now, we were just like, it was, it was a mess, you know? And so I remember calling 911. They show up and um, the nearest hospital to me is Corona Regional. Mm. And, um... I've been to Corona Regional. The Corona Regional is not the hospital you want to go to when you need a brain surgery. I hear you. <laughs> or anything major. Exactly. Yes. And so they show up and they say, you know, we're taking him to Corona Regional. I said, no, we're not doing that. And they said, well, we have to do that. We have to get him to the nearest hospital. Yeah. He's dying. Right. And I said, They're, we can't go there. I said, they are not going to be able to handle this. And he said, okay. He's like, well, I'm just going to tell you. He's very straightforward. You will take him wherever you want, but you're signing this just thing that you're going to pay when he dies on oh. the way. You're responsible. Oh, so he no. told me. So oh. as a wife, of course, I'm like, I don't know what to do, you right. know. And again, I went against my instinct, which I always say never do. I said, okay, fine. You guys are the medical professionals. Take him where you want. So we take him to Corona Regional, and they admit him in immediately, and take him back. There's nothing they can do. Literally, the doctor that was there said to me, he looks at me, he's like, why would you bring him here? That's what he said to me. (laughs) Because your ENT just told me to. I said, I had no, so they told me he was going to die. And he's like, he's like, he was trying to be gracious, but he, I was like, we have to get him to Cedar Sinai. I could not get a hold of that doctor team to save my life. I tried everything. I was trying to call my doctor. I was trying everybody. I didn't know who to call. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And so I remember the doctor said, if there's a team in, um, I think it's in Riverside. It's in Marina Valley. Mm-hmm. Right off of, there's a hospital there. I forget the name of it is. He said, there's a team of doctors there that can handle this surgery. You need to get them there. I said, can we air flight him? He said, he'll die. You can't do oh, the elevation. Yeah. Right. He said, mm. we don't know if he's going to make it. But 
get him in the ambulance. I'm going to take him off of all the drugs that we have him on right the second. They unplugged him. They threw him in the car and they took him. And I'll never forget following behind the car. And I was just, my best friend was driving and I was just like crying hysterically because I was just, I just thought there's no way he's going to make, everyone kept telling me there's no way he's going to survive this. No way, no way. And so we get to the hospital. Immediately the doctor's can't get a hold of the doctor at Cedar Sinai and he's not responding. And so I'm trying to give as much detailed information as a woman that is not a doctor. doctor. You know, I'm like, he had brain surgery and like just trying to explain as much as I could. And it was truly the most terrifying situation you've ever been in because you feel like you need to know the details. And I didn't really know all the details. And so I just knew that they had to get the blood to stop. So I approved them to go in to have he basically had the exact same surgery again mm. but not to remove a tumor this time this time it was to remove blood mm. so same risk same everything same 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 and obviously the chances of them making it they said were very slim at this point and so he went in had surgery my family all came down and um woke up from the surgery so the doctor said surgery went well um same thing one person can only see him so i went to the hospital visited him he was there he was much much slower this time around it had done a lot of damage like yeah. brain damage to him that bleed brain bleed that um i noticed a significant difference in just that one time alone and so he was in the hospital for about a week mm-hmm. um they put drains in they sent him home <laughs> i remember having the worst ptsd when I we went home imagine. i was like I'm not ready for him to be home. home. <laughs> I, I, I'm not ready for, I can't handle this if something goes wrong. And they're like, he's going to be okay. We give you, we promise you that. We promise, promise. So he came home and um, we followed up with the doctors, just the cancer doctor a week later. And they obviously wanted to do another scan to make sure everything was good. And so we go and we get the MRI and we go back we see the doctor and the doctor says i have bad news Mm -mm. i said what's that and he said the tumor is back Mm -hmm. but this time it's not where it was it's located in the center of your brain it's attaching to your nervous central system of your body and so basically the doctor said it's the worst place that this tumor could show up at it's in the center of your brain there's not much we can do to get to it he said we can definitely radiate it but there was like a two percent chance of it doing anything at all um radiation didn't work on this type of tumor but it did work 100 percent on damaging everything else as it's frying in right right. so not only was it not fully gonna for sure shrink the tumor we knew it was gonna make him pretty much brain dead and so i was like well nope that's not an option (laughs) you know i mean if anything that we talked about even before jim's first surgery was he told me that he did not want to lose abilities. He's right. like, I, I don't want that life. Mm-mm. I don't want to be that way. I would rather just not be here. Mm. And so he had, we had this conversation even prior to all of this. And so um, he wasn't really able to talk much at this point. Jimmy was, it was just, it was hard for him. It was mumbling, kind of like to process it was a lot. Like he wasn't able to process like he used to. So I remember doctors make you feel crazy, right? I mean, they're just like, there's nothing we can do. However, this is what you have to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And so, you know, he said, you know, their system was radiation and chemotherapy. And they said it had, I think it was honestly, it might even been less than a 2% chance. I think it was like a less than 1% chance of even working. He said, but the good news is there's a new therapy out called immunotherapy. And immunotherapy is where they take your immune system and they basically program it to go in and attack that cancer, like mm-hmm. directly. Right. I said, wonderful. I said, okay, let's do that. He said, but we have to do radiation and chemo first. And so I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. However, (laughs) I did say. You're no doctor. I'm not a doctor. And I did say this. I'm like, out of all due respect, 
can you explain to me how it's a good idea to destroy, because that's what chemotherapy does, is wipes out your entire immune system. But the only fighting chance you're telling me is that he has to rely on his immune system. I said, so why would we damage it before Doing something. we want to you know, use it? I said, I just, I don't understand that. And I mean, truly his response was, I'm sorry, but this is just the way that our system is ran. He can't do C without doing A and B first. Right. Because of, because of insurance. Insurance. You know, it's and crazy money. though. So insurance is yes. However, we have um, Samaritan Ministries, which is like a co-op, I guess you could say, through mm-hmm. church, right? Yeah. Everybody shares right. each other's medical bills. Mm-hmm. So that... I always was able to choose where to go, what type of doctors to see, because we had that choice with this type of insurance. So, and we were cash patients. So it wasn't about really having to go through the insurance. However, he would get penalty on his license. So they get in trouble if they don't follow protocol. Mm -hmm. So protocol is A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So their hands are tied. Right. And so whoever pay, whoever gets them in trouble, the board of doctors, whoever, I don't know. And so um, he said, we need to start tomorrow. He said, this is very serious. If you, and I said, I said, I don't want to do that. And he said, I'm telling you, if this was my loved one, this is what I would do. And so I'm, again, I'm a very, I go off my gut. Like, I just, I feel like that's what, that's God, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's God telling mm-hmm. us and Absolutely. speaking to us. I think that that's up to us to listen. And I just, I felt so strongly that that is not what we wanted to do. That's not what and he Jim, wanted. Yeah, and Jim would not have wanted that. And I kept trying to ask him. I kept saying babe, tell me, like, tell me, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. I don't want to make this decision. I said, but tell me, I said, my gut is saying no. And he just, he, he just, I don't care. He always, I don't care. Nothing added, nothing made sense. And that's the best to describe it where it was just like, this is not right. And so I remember going home and I was, I mean, I was just, when you're going through the midst of a storm like that, like you just, I almost like, I never even like put my head up. Like I was just like such in survival mode. Like I need to figure this out. So, I mean, I just remember feeling so terrified and so defeated and every time we thought we made like a gain it was like pushed back so much harder you know it's just like this battle the hardest battle I've ever been in and so I went home and I um actually hired a coach to come over she was like a hypnotherapy coach and I'm like muscle test him let his body tell us what his body needs mm-hmm. right. yeah. <laughs> you know so you went a little unconventional I went unconventional for sure in that area because I, I do a lot of things unconventional yeah. anyway that's I, I believe in healing the body giving it what it needs to get back into balance yeah. and so um, I had her come over and we muscle tested him time and time again and every single time he muscle tested for more of a natural approach um, compared to the radiation and chemo and so I said, okay. I said, I have to go with that. You know, that's what my gut is telling me. That's what his body is telling us. That's what we talked about prior. And so um, we sat down with the family and I said, look, this is what I'm thinking. You're his mom and dad. This is his parents. I said, tell me, do you guys agree? Like, what do you feel we should do? Mm -hmm. And everybody was kind of on the same page of, you know, we know Jimmy doesn't want to get radiation to the center of his brain where he's going to lose his abilities. Like he's not going to want to live that life. So if we can heal his body and not do so much damage, we're going to do that or else let the Lord take him home. Like those were our choices. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember trying to find, this was the hardest part, somebody that could do immunotherapy without doing A, B, and C. A, B, and, C. Mm-hmm. and so 
you know, I was trying to put together like a wellness plan here within the United States. Obviously, I have a business, I have two daughters, you know, to leave the country was not going to be an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I was trying, I knew like what Mexico did, because I talked to them. And I was trying to like piece together their protocols here. Um, we drove to Scottsdale, Arizona to meet with the doctor. And I'll never forget, I just I spent a full day at my house, I had a whole team of friends around me. And all day we just spent research on the phone calling every single facility place on the planet from mexico to uh arizona to you know all over the country and um there was one place in scottsdale that i was like okay this sounds like it could be the place like i think this is it so we loaded up in the car me my jimmy and my aunt chris who was a lifesaver to me at this whole time in my life she just was amazing she did everything with us went to every appointment she helped me so much i would not have been able to get through this without her and so we drive to arizona we show up at the place and I kid you not, I walk, get out of the car and I just knew in my gut this was not the right place. Mm-hmm. And I just remember like this, I just felt so defeated. I was so tired and I felt so defeated. And I was like, why would we bring us here, God? Like if this was not the right place, why would you bring us here? We just spent, you know, six hours driving. Right. So my aunt's like, just go in and hear what they have to say, you know, and I'm like, okay. So we go in and the doctor was so like lax, like she never really... I don't think understood the severity and which I think that was what infuriated me so much is because I told them over the phone exactly what we were dealing with. And I talked to their sales associate who sold us basically to come down there. When I talked to the real doctor, she was like, this is not something that we should be, we can be able to handle. We can help, but he's going to need to do a lot more than just this. Mm. So we literally drove six hours. We were there for two hours. And this is, mind you, Jimmy just had brain surgery. Like he's feeling like shit. He's exhausted. He's sick. He's just miserably uncomfortable. And we have nowhere to go. And I'm thinking like the oncologist is calling me like I had my appointment that next day to have, I scheduled it yeah, just to schedule it. Yeah. Just so I had that option. And they're calling to confirm, are you going to be here? Are you going to be here? And I was like, God, is that you closing a door? Are we supposed to go that way? That's the only thing that's open at this point. So we get in the car to drive home. We're driving home from Arizona. And it's so crazy. My phone rings. And it was one of the facilities in Mexico. Veer to Life is what it was called. And um, their head person called me on the phone and was like, hey, you know, I had talked to the doctor about your situation. And this is the place I wanted to go to, but they were full. Nobody could get us in. Mm -hmm. And so um, she's like, I just want you to know, we just had a cancellation. You know, we could get you in tomorrow. And so I was like, seriously? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, can I get like a tour of the facility over the phone? So um, he was like, absolutely. Let me call you back in 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, great. So we're literally driving home. And my aunt's like, well, like beeline to go the other direction towards Mexico. And so I'm like, let's just head that way. I don't know. We're going to do the facility, but let's just go that direction. So we're driving. And they call me back. And um, she's doing a tour of the facility. I met the doctors over the phone and, you know, told them the situation. And there was a patient sitting there. And his name was Mike. And Mike was like, oh, can I talk to her? I'd love to share her my experience. And I'm like, awesome. Sure, I'd love to talk to him. So he gets on the phone and Mike tells me he has brain cancer (laughs) and that he went through this facility five years prior. They were able to shrink his brain tumor enough where he's been thriving for five years and he does annual check-ins. Once a year he goes and he does these. That's what he was doing. That's what he was on his annual. He's like, this place saved my life. And so I just felt like that was such the confirmation I needed to like, okay, somebody that's in the same exact situation because yeah. brain cancer, especially where his was located, is so much different than some other cancers. It yeah. was so aggressive. Right. 
And so, um, and it was growing fast. I mean, You're it went from with the brain. It's a, it was, went from being the size of well, when they removed it, he says the size of like a softball. It was huge. <gasps> but then when we did the scan, right, there was nothing. When once he had brain surgery, it was like seven days later. It was a size of um, like a I'm gonna say a little bit smaller than a golf ball. Oh, in like seven a days, a walnut. Oh. Yes. So it was growing extremely rapidly. Yes, yeah. So we didn't have a lot of time. So um, we went to Mexico and did a traditional treatment. And a traditional treatment of. Okay, so we did immunotherapy. Okay. He did do chemotherapy, but In they Mexico. do the. Um, I think it's called. It's like a low dose chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. So um, they reduce your insulin levels. So they only have to hit you a little bit less. So it's not so much so high. So they kind of hit him with everything. Um, they do a lot of. Um, they did like clonics. They do like constantly detoxing the body, have them on a vegan diet. They do, um, what's it called? The oxygen tanks. Um, the chambers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The chambers that you go in that like puts oxygen. They do, they had so many things for the body. So Jimmy's body was like stronger than ever. Aww. You know, I mean, he looked great. He looked healthy in the sense of his body was holding up. And was he feeling better? Yes and no. So he would have good days, mm-hmm. and then he would have his chemoimmunotherapy days, which made him extremely sick. So we moved to Tijuana. We lived there for a few months and down in their medical facility. And um, the doctors and the team were super amazing. You know, it was super nice. We had the most amazing penthouse suite that overlooked remember, all of the town. I remember town. you posting things, yeah. and I was like, wow, yeah. I know why they're there. Yeah. This is the best of – Yeah, it was it the is, best of the situation, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Nothing in TJ is wonderful. No, no. But if you had to have a place to say – You had your girls with you? I did not, no. Okay. Because they were, my, they were in school, and um, it was – hard enough to get me there because I didn't have a passport and they didn't have passports. Mm. So going back and forth over the border was not like an easy thing to do. And mm-hmm. so I was just nervous of them getting stuck, sure. you know. And so um, we did take Jimmy home a couple of the weekends. But for the most part, they didn't see him for those couple of months. And then I was going back and forth because I was still working. I was still... They still have your business. Mm-hmm. You're still trying to manage that. Manage life. You know, thank goodness for my friends and family. I mean, everybody stepped up and helped so much. And our friends put together a food chain and all my kids every night had meals for, you know, months. And yeah. it was just everybody organized everything so well. Um, but, you know, going back and forth, it was a lot. And yeah. so I remember... And I didn't want to be negative because my family was so positive. And I guess if there's anything that I learned too from this, especially with daughters going through a hard time, is I wasn't fully honest with them. And I think that they still to this day kind of resent a little bit towards that because as a mom, you want to protect your kids, you know. And so I didn't want to scare them. They were they're young and they love their dad and they were terrified even the word cancer alone. Sure. So I and I'm extremely optimistic. And so I just kept saying, it's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. He's going to be okay from day one. Like I never really fully told them how serious the cancer was. Even when we found out it was glioblastoma, I never fully told them that. And fast forwarding now, like both my daughters wish they would have known because they felt that they would have done things differently Mm. had they have known that he might not have been here that long. Hindsight, right? Hindsight. There's no right and wrong answer. And I do think grace for sure. You know, I give myself a lot of grace because you just, you're in survival mode. You're trying to do the best that you can with what you have. And you, I felt like I was trying to do the right thing. You know, again, hindsight, I wish if, I always, my girlfriend's going through this actually right now. She was just diagnosed and she's like, I don't think I'm gonna tell the kids. And I'm like, your Mm -hmm. kids are part of you. I feel like, you know, they, especially as a mom, you know, we have that genetic connection with them that even when you don't say things, 
they still feel things. Sure. Right. You know, and so it's almost more confusing to children, I feel like, when you aren't being fully transparent and honest. The blanks usually worse yes. than it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think when you're just honest and out there, you know, I think it makes yeah. the process for everybody a little bit easier. And so in Mexico, we're there for a while and he just is not looking good to me. You know, I just told my mom, I said, I don't want to be negative. I said, but he he didn't have the fight. And I think that if there's anything that I feel is what makes a difference of people that survive cancer and people that don't, I feel like it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. I feel like people that want to survive do. Mm-hmm. And the people that, not that Jim didn't want to survive. I don't want to say he didn't, but I felt like, I used to say, I'm like, babe, you need to tap in. You need to fight this. Like, you know, you like, I feel like I have like this warrior spirit inside mm-hmm. of me. Like I almost feel like I can tap into it and you just feel extremely strong. And I just, I never saw that in him. You know, I felt like I was trying to be his warrior, but I couldn't heal him, even right. as hard as I was trying. And I used to get so frustrated because I was like, dig deeper. You know, yeah, you got to. Right. And his, the brain tumor it changed 100%, who he was. 100%. He, he could not find exactly. the warrior because yep. he wasn't the same person He wasn't. Anymore. He wasn't. And I think yeah. that that is another Looking back, you can see that You can now. see that now is, you know, going through it in the midst of it, you're wanting him to be able to do something that he was not capable of doing mm-hmm. and so um you know we finished through mexico tumor hadn't grown which i thought was a good thing um if anything it might have even gotten smaller if i remember correctly um slightly and uh so you were there for a few months mm-hmm. and did your insurance pay for that so the insurance we have is the family shared yeah. program yes so they basically they paid for it so you can go anywhere you want in the world which is what i love and they will pay for it. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. Hmm. So that was pretty cool. Um, because that would have been really stressful yeah. trying to figure out. Because a lot of times people are making decisions about medical things mm-hmm. based on necessity because they don't have another choice. Totally. They've got this HMO. Mm-hmm. They only can go to this place. Mm-hmm. They only can listen to these doctors. Yep. They don't have a choice. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I feel so grateful for that too because, again, I think that God prepares you, mm-hmm. you know, for things that you don't even realize you're going to go through throughout your life. You know, I changed the way that I viewed the medical system way before Jimmy even got sick. You know, I saw things differently and I chose to do things differently basically since my kids were little. And so um, I always wanted options. I always wanted choices. I always wanted to be in control and do what I wanted to do, not what the doctors were had to do because they have to follow protocol too. Mm -hmm. I do think it's everybody is different. You can line up 10 people in a row and do the exact same protocol to all 10 people and everyone's going to have a different experience, you know? So it's, you have to do what you feel is best for the person that you know and love because nobody knows that person better than themselves, A, or their people closest to them, you right. know? So that's what we, our mindset, my mindset was the whole time. It's always trying to do what I felt was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I never forget, I remember taking a shower out of that home and I was just so terrified. And I guess that's the best word I could use. I feel like I was stuck in a state of like fear, like, oh yes. my gosh, my, like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I, I was so scared. The stress your body. Felt. It was crazy. And I remember crying out to God. I was in the shower and I was just like, I literally cannot handle this. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it was clear as day to me that, I mean, God literally remember him speaking and saying, it's going to be okay. So in the time when he said that, you know, obviously perception, I wanted him to be saying, Jim is going to be okay. Right. Jimmy's going to make it. He's going to make it. And so that's what I told myself. You know, I was like, okay, you know, God said it's going to be okay. So I was, I believe that Jimmy's going to heal this. He's going to do a miracle. He's going to do a miracle. So in Mexico, you know, you're watching and I'm not seeing a miracle happening. I'm seeing him deteriorate so fast, like in front of our eyes. And so, you know, my mom 
was just like a prayer warrior over him every single day. And she was just, you know, we got to believe, we got to believe. I said, there is a place to, I believe. And I know that his journey is his journey and whatever God has in store for him is going to happen. So, but on the flip side of that, I feel like we're also being a little naive here. I think we need to look at it for really what it is. Mm -hmm. And this is not looking good, you know? And so it was, it was hard to take that realization in when you realize like, this is not looking good. And so we finished the pr- the treatment. They send you home and then you come back. Like I think it was like six weeks later. So they send you home. Still, I had to do the injections of the immunotherapies and all those things, this whole protocol of stuff. And um, he just decreased so rapidly over time. And so I remember him just sitting on the couch and just slowly losing his abilities. And it's so crazy how everything happens because his body was strong. The thing that was going was his brain, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was like, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, Lord, like did this just backfire? Like I, because doctors are telling me he could be alive for five years, but like on hospice, right. you know, like. You'll be changing bed, diapers. diapers. And- exactly what he didn't want. Right. I feel like it's what I set him up for. Right. right. And so it was just, I was just watching him deteriorate and slowly, you know, just lose his mind. It reminded me of a lot of a dementia patient, you know, in the middle of the night, like would wake up and he's, he's routine. You know, he got up every single day at 4.30. He went to work. So he would get up in the middle of the night at 4.30 and say he has to go to work. He's late for a meeting. He kind of lost his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, I'm trying, no, you don't have to work. You know, you're not feeling good. Remember, you're sick, you know, and he's like mad at me, like shoving me out of the way, like, <laughs> let me get to the shower. You know, it was very, it was a very rough rough time and so as he started losing his abilities jimmy's a big guy he was six one you know 250 pounds probably <laughs> and so you know i wasn't able to really support him and so we had to move him downstairs because i was scared he was going to fall down the stairs because he was just so wobbly on his feet and the day i had hospice come i remember this was just like an interview because i was going to have to have somebody to come in and help because yeah. he was now needing to be watched you know right. like we i would leave to go to an errand and he'd be in the backyard and you know, Kylie and Chloe would call me crying, like, you know, we're trying to get dad in the house, but he's not listening. You know, oh. I'm s- like they were scared yeah. because they were, tr- they felt like they couldn't do anything either. Right. So we needed the help. And so um, we, I brought in hospice or the company to come out and just kind of, you know, tell us what the next step was. And um, they basically said that, you know, he's at, risk at this point you know like he's not going to be able to be walking and moving around because he's going to hurt himself and he falls and hits his head it's not good yeah so like we're going to have to get him you know medicated and basically bed ridden and so um i remember them leaving and he, he was laying downstairs in the bedroom and it was so crazy there was no indication of really anything of him being any different than he's been right except uh he was in pain, like his head, like always, like his head always hurt. And so yeah. he was kind of uncomfortable. I remember that. And I went downstairs and I was laying next to him in bed. And he hadn't spoken at this point probably in a month, like wasn't really able to use his words. Oh, wow. And so. Um, That's got to be so hard. It was so hard. <laughs> and so you're trying to get yes. responses and you want, you he need was, him. Yeah, he was trying to communicate. He was trying to tell us what he wanted and what he needed, but he couldn't. He mm-hmm. couldn't get it out. He lost that ability. And so I remember laying in bed with him and we were having a conversation. I was just talking to him. Yeah. And, and so I remember telling him like what was going on. I said, look, you know, this is what the doctors are saying. You know, I said, I love you. I don't know what to do. And I remember saying, sorry. <laughs> I remember saying to him that, you know, I love you and I'm here for you. And if you want to fight this, I'll do whatever it takes, 
to help you. But I also said, if you don't, the girls and I are okay with that too. And I'm okay if you just want to let go. And so he actually... permission. I did. So he actually sat up and clear as day, he hadn't spoken in a month. He sat up and he said, thank you so much for saying that. And he gave me a kiss on his lips and he laid back down. And so it was like this powerful moment that we had together. And a couple hours later, um, he was in a lot of pain. Like his head was hurting and I just felt like he was suffering. And so I remember telling my aunt, I was like, I feel like we need to get him, take him to the hospital. I feel like he needs some sort of pain relief. Like this is not fair. And so um, she's like, you know, it's so crazy. She's like, I was feeling the same thing when I was upstairs and she was downstairs. I said, what if we just take him to Hogue? Let's take him to Hogue. Let him, you know, we can go and visit him in there. Let him get him comfortable for the night until this hospice people can figure out what we can do to get him out of pain. Right. And so we take him to Hogue. You know, he was just tired and out of it. But, you know, awake like he's been. Like there was no change in him like it's been for 30 days. And so um, we finally get checked in. And, you know, the doctor came in and did his evaluations on him and all of that. And, you know, he's like, you know, he's fine he said we're gonna give him some pain relief he's like you need to go sleep <laughs> he's mm-hmm. like and i was like i agree you know because we couldn't stay there because there are rules with right. covid you couldn't stay the night That's and right. so he's like go home and sleep and then um we'll get him comfortable you get situated at your house so we can get him comfortable there and then he's going to be home he's like but just know this is going to be a long haul with him he's like i've seen people survive this for years no and so that was exactly my thought i was like no, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> if anything, um, Jimmy has always been so good at taking care of us girls. That was right. just, he lived for that. Like he just, that was what he did. He always provided he for us. He took care of a lot of he, people. He too. did. He did. Friends and 100%, family members. 100%. And so I remember going home and uh, I fell asleep and I finally slept through the night. I hadn't slept in, I felt like a year at this point, right. <laughs> you know? And so I, I slept hard and I woke up to my phone ringing and I was like, <gasps> I told the hospital I'd be back at eight o'clock and it was like eight ten. Okay. I was like, oh my gosh, I overslept. And so I look at it and it says Hogue Hospital. And immediately my in, my gut, because Jimmy, every time I wasn't there, whenever he was in the hospital prior, he would always call my wife. I want to talk to my wife. So I was honestly expecting, even though I knew consciously that he wasn't able to say that, yeah. I just had, I don't know why I just felt that, right? I was like, oh, it must be Jimmy. And so the nurse called or answered. I was like, hi. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I slept in. And she's like, okay. She's like, well, I was just seeing if you're coming in. I said, I'll be right there. I'm so sorry. And so she's like, I just want to tell you that Jimmy passed away this morning. <gasps> and I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, shocked. Like, Ugh. and then immediately guilt, right? Right. Oh my God, I wasn't there. You know. I should have known. I, I, I didn't have a premonition. No, nothing. And so... I, I mean, I, 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 don't even, I think I dropped the phone, I remember. And I was like, it was just me and Kylie home. Um, and she had a friend over. I don't even remember what friend it was. That was such a blur. Chloe was with my mom. And I remember, like, sitting on the edge of my bed. And immediately, like, I felt guilt. But then, I mean, within, like, a second, I remember feeling comforted by God, like, immediately. And he was like, no, like, this is, this is, this is the plan. This is what was supposed to happen. This was what's supposed to happen. And it's so crazy is... Jimmy is always taking care of us. I'm telling you, I just said that. When we fast rewind two years prior, my uncle had a stroke and he had passed away. And I remember being there when he passed away. We were there with my aunt. And I remember telling him that that was probably one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever seen to watch somebody that you love lose their life. Like when they removed the tube, we were hoping he was going to breathe on his own and he didn't. 
So it was extremely difficult to watch. And I remember telling him, I said, that was probably one of the most horrific things that I've ever gone through, right. you know. And he, I'm, I never want to do that again. I remember saying that. And we had talked about, too, I mean, the girls. Like, Jimmy, our girls, our home was our home. Right. I know Jimmy would not have wanted to passed away in, the in our home because I think that would have put such a negative energy in there for the girls. And so um, when I found out that he had died, you know, I was just, I mean, lost my breath. Like, oh, my gosh. And then I just felt this comfort overtake me. And I just, I have to say that comfort's never left. Mm-hmm. It's been a year and a half. And I've never not that you don't feel, I mean, obviously grief is like in waves, but I never felt the guilt. I never felt like I shouldn't have been there. I genuinely believe that people choose when they want to go and how they want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a Jimmy move (laughs) to to die die by by himself, himself, where me and the girls weren't having to go through that with him. And so I, I remember walking into Kylie's room and Again, I probably handled this the wrong way. You know, I mean, you don't know you what to do. You handle it. There's no right. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just like uh, she knew. She saw me and she knew. And, you know, it was just How like. How old was she at this time? Um, she passed away in May of 2021. She was 15. So, um, and she just, you know, she was just like broke down crying. And I remember break down crying. And then I had called my mom and. My mom had Chloe, and I was like, don't say anything, you know? And so, same thing, Chloe comes walking through the door and just like, how do you deliver that news <laughs> to your children? And it's just, I mean, I can't even tell you the heartbreak that you see through both your girls, you know, of just like, you know, he's gone. And I think that the anger comes from, they didn't know. I didn't know that he was going to die that night. I had no idea. Had I known, I would have, of course, the night there. have stayed and, of course, had the girls, you know, be say with goodbye. him, say goodbye. But unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. And so I think that, uh, you know, that for me, I think is always the hardest thing is yeah. I wish that I could have told my girls had the severity of it more so they could have felt that they would have made more because they were living their lives. You know, my daughter was in horses and sure gone all the time nobody it was hard to be at the house and watch him yeah you know it was hard right so they weren't around a lot and so and I think that was by by choice and by 100 by plan because you wanted them to live their lives exactly and so was he. 100% and she I just was. I always said that Jimmy was all about having fun and enjoying life and you know he that was just who he was and mm-hmm. so you know I I think that that has always been from day one you know I think everyone always like oh my gosh you 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 got through this so well and I genuinely believe it's I just decided very quickly on that I had two choices like sink or swim (laughs) you know I'm like how how I handle this is going to trickle down to how my girls handle this and so I just decided to change the way I my perception of it I guess is what you could say you know and I feel like I did put down here like I think five things that I feel like truly kind of get you through difficult times Mm -hmm. there's no right answer here Mm -hmm. there's not there's There's not there's no right way even even if you did it completely the opposite of how you'd been Mm -hmm. that's okay too totally yeah that was my things i was telling with the five keys to a difficult time i feel like faith for Mm -hmm. sure you know leaning on god and knowing that god is so faithful that even in the hard times you know when he told me that i'd be okay you know i took that as a gym was gonna be okay but what that reality meant was he you was so faithful. This. You can do this. He had me comforted from day one that I've felt like I've been okay. 
Um, so faith, family and friends, obviously. If it wasn't for them, like, to be able to lean on to help with the kids, you know, I just feel like it takes a village to run Absolutely. a family anyway, yeah. let alone, you know, when you go through something like this, everybody has had our back so much from day one that, I mean, I just, I feel like forever grateful. You know, it, it definitely gave me so much, I felt so loved. You know, if there's any gifts that I learned out of this was, I think feeling loved was one of them because that was something that I struggled with my entire life of the feeling of love. You know, I felt like I didn't really know how to feel loved. Right. And that came a lot obviously within, but so much healing came from the pain. And I'm very grateful for all of that for sure. Yeah. And then the other one would be um, perception. I feel like in society today, everyone kind of feels like grief should look one way, (laughs) you know? Everyone's like, oh, it's so weird. You know, you're actually smiling. Wow, you know, like, and I think that, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I feel like, you know, you really can choose, I feel like, to either be a victim or a victor, you know? And I felt like I've seen grief, I've seen people lose people, and I've seen how there are so many different ways, you know, that people have gone about it. But I just felt that I, I tried to use gratitude, I guess you could say, as for like our healing mechanism is obviously we talked about all the things that made us sad, but we always ended it with something that we are grateful for because we had so many, so much from Jim. Mm-hmm. He'd given us so much. We've learned so much. You know, we had so much things that we were grateful for mm-hmm. that instead of looking and ending it always on a loss, as I tried to tell my girls, I said, we can feel all the pain, but I think we should always end it with something that we're grateful for because it changes like your state. Like it just, it puts you like in a different headspace. So I always thought the perception was something that was almost probably my most favorite way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I do everything differently. Everyone's used to that. One doesn't do anything (laughs) traditional. (laughs) Let alone grieve traditionally, I guess. And then grace. I think giving yourself a lot of grace is a big one because again, you're gonna have a lot of people that have a lot of opinions on how you should be doing things Mm -hmm. or what it should look like. But until somebody walks in your shoes, yes. it, it, you're never going to please everyone. I think that that's the biggest lesson, too, for my girls is you have to do what feels right to you. And you have to listen to that inside God connection that you have that you know when you're doing the right thing, it feels right. And so it, if you're always following that gut and that light that I think God gives you to help lead your life, I feel like it keeps you on the right path. And anybody can question what you're doing and that's fine but when you're no and you're solid and you're like look I'm following what God's plan is for me you can tell me whatever you want but I feel good about what I'm doing nobody can really rock you you know mm-hmm. so I do think you know giving grace and just doing what you feel is best for you and not being so hard on yourself and kind of shutting out all right. of the voices mm-hmm. and then the other one is forgiveness you know I think it's really easy to get bitter about life's freaking hard I love what you said earlier that you've seen within your family and your community of friends the way this journey as awful as it was in those three months touched people and changed people Mm -hmm. do you have any examples of that i would say just brought some people to the lord really 100 percent. okay yeah um i would say relationships and some of our friends that were you know close i felt like i think people saw that life is so much more precious than they yes. thought before right you know it it helped us all even myself you know appreciate life from a whole different level and when you are come from a place of appreciation you kind of tend to stop letting the little things that are minute truly that we focused on so much for really ruin your day and right. ruin your you know month year whatever it rolled into right you know it, it gave us all a different 
you know, perception of life. And mm-hmm. I, I, I see it in a lot of people. So I would say that would be the most. Tell us about your community out there and the church, because I think that church mm-hmm. has is good for people and things. And what, what church you Absolutely. guys go to? So it was um, Crossroads Christian Church mm-hmm. right there in Corona. Right. And yeah, I mean, the facility, the the pastors, everybody were so supportive and so amazing. My girls have gone to school there for many right. years. Mm-hmm. And so that was our home church. Mm-hmm. And um, But with 2020 happening, everything had been closed. So we hadn't really been in the facility for about a year. Right. And so um, when we went back, I mean, just... He, Pastor Greg was so wonderful when it came to just handling is that everything. Who did the, the funeral service? Mm-hmm. He was amazing. He Pastor is amazing. Greg, you mm-hmm. were amazing. He was amazing. And he just, I mean, literally was just like, okay, tell me what you want. And, you know, going in, we did it very quick, overwhelmed already with life. You know, it was planning a funeral is not an easy thing to do. No. And I, I'm very visual. I had a vision. I'm, I like things a certain way. I'm very particular. And so I was just like, this is what I want. I have no idea how to make it happen. He's like, I'm gonna make it happen for you, you know, and, and it's all by charity only, like whatever you want to donate, you know, it's not like, okay, it's going to be $20,000, you know, he's like, whatever you guys want to donate, donate, you know, but we're here for you, we're going to do this. And it was a beautiful service. And, you know, like you said, so many people showed up that loved Jim and so many people that couldn't make it. I mean, the amount of people that reached out to us, I mean, were by the thousands. Oh, it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. I love that. You have two daughters mm-hmm. with Jim. I see um, your children, um, just in a general sense, everybody's children as being sort of their legacy. Mm-hmm. What do you see in your daughters that that is really just specifically Jim? Oh gosh, down to what they look like. Is <laughs> yeah. that true? They look just like him. I feel like <laughs> Chloe James. Yeah, Chloe James. Oh, she has this middle name. Um, I mean, they both they both are him. And I you know it's funny that you say that because I tell my girls all the time. I have two daughters that fight like crazy. Sure, that's <laughs> normal for children. But my right. girls fight like crazy. But I always say I'm like. You're so blessed because you guys have each other, which is, you guys are, you're part of your father. You know, if you're ever lonely or missing him, like you can literally tap into one another and see your dad and one another because you see him so much in both of them. And from my youngest, I mean, her, her, I mean, what she looks like, she looks like him, but just like her expressions, you know, they were born two days apart. So even like to like their attitudes and their personalities, everything, they, Mm -hmm. she is literally him. And then my oldest daughter, I mean, she looks just like Jimmy and she is, she has his sarcastic personality. Like she's always like, Jimmy was a prankster. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd like walk in the room and he'd be hiding behind the corner and scare the living daylights out of you. Right, you know, right. she does stuff like that, you know? And so it's always like, you can just always say, I'm like, you are so your father child. I probably say that a hundred <laughs> times a day. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So definitely they have a lot of his attributes for sure. So one thing I love about Jim and when I think about him and my husband's a lot like this and I think the construction industry breeds this type of man which is they work hard and they play harder oh yeah i mean everything that we do is so that we can have fun yep yep (laughs) it's we want to make enough money to travel and to do the things we like to do exactly i feel like jimmy was that way jimmy was much that way he lived for fun he lived for vacations he Mm -hmm. lived for trips you know all the way down to the point of when we did his service we based it on his logo everywhere in the back of our cars all say until the wheels fall off because that was jim i mean he wanted to have a good time and he put it all out there and he went all out always and everything he, he did and in he relationships motorcycles and sand rails 100%. and buggies and anything with wheels he was driving he was a driver he from he was 15 years
years old. He bought his first blazer, bought his first dirt bike. I mean, that is who he was. That is what he lived for. So we thought that that, we thought that would have been a really nice tribute to him because it was him. I've heard all about your husband for a long time. I knew that he built this room and was sort of a larger than life character. And so when I heard that he passed, I was like, oh, no. I mean, it's one, you know. Of course. So we're. We're very, very happy to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping me. It was actually really awesome to be able to sit here. And I don't think I've ever told the story from start to end ever. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I've told beats and pieces, but everybody's been a part of the journey. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool. And a shout out to all your friends and family. Oh, absolutely. I honestly, I'm so blessed to have the amazing people in my life and everybody in my life. They know who they are. They've had my back and they've, I could not have done this without them. Hands down. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here and sharing and being vulnerable and real. And we just appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you to the listeners. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We would love to hear from you on our Instagram to Average Girls podcast. Until then, I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries. <laughs>